Cleveland, Ohio. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, uh, hopefully this won't be much of a spoiler alert. Actually, it probably is going to ruin the whole movie for you. <laughs> um, if you don't know about this movie, it's, it's about a man who grew up in foster care who, feel his li- who feels his life is incomplete, right? Now, since he was a child, he kind of envisioned um, his family, and he, he's looking for his biological family, and he was wondering what it would be like. As an adult, he goes on this life journey, right? He's trying to figure out who he is, but he has to come face to face with some of the trauma or some of the issues uh, that he's had to face that he thought he left behind. Uh, of course, he didn't uh, leave it behind because if you know the movie, he had so many issues, he had so many things that he was dealing with. Yeah, at the end of the movie, I, I love the scene. It's a scene of, of this great big feast that his family, his biological family, had prepared for him um, when they, he finally found them. And I love it because his vision that he had has finally come true. But when I think about it, this is like our experience with the Lord, right? He is slowly revealing himself to us. We're in a process of of discovering who we are as he reveals himself. I, I think it's vital to realize that Jesus wants to reveal himself to us, church. He constantly is trying to get our attention, right? He wants us to know him. Look, God always is trying to teach us something about himself. But here's the question I have. How are you at noticing when Jesus is trying to reveal himself to you? We we don't always know what God is teaching us about himself, do we, right? We kind of miss the lessons at times. Um, we, We don't see that he's trying to teach us in every one of our life experiences. He's trying to teach us to trust him. See, God wastes nothing. Um, But this is what Jesus is trying to teach us in this text today, right? He appears to his disciples a third time, according to verse 14. He wants them to see that he's enough. Like, there isn't anything that we don't need him for. I don't know about everybody. I don't know everybody here in this room. And I don't know everything that you have to go through. I don't know what challenges you have in life. But what I do know that everybody is looking for something to fill them. To make them feel complete. And, and what I do know, that the answer is always Jesus. To the danger is when we think we can find something outside of him. When we think we can live independent, right? And, and, and interdependent. But here's the thing. We are always fully dependent on him. So today, my, my, my points are very simple. Today, uh, I have three points. Um, the, fir- the, the first one is that we are not enough. The second one is Jesus is more than enough. And the third is Jesus is enough for us. So if you're a kid right now, I know they gave you the little fill in the blank. You can start filling in some of them blanks. I'm sure it's on there. So let me paint the picture like Bob Ross. Y'all know big Bob Ross, PBS with the big afro. Y'all remember that? Well, see, here's we at. Here we are at the tail end of the Gospel of John. Jesus is just resurrected. The disciples are waiting on Jesus because he commanded them to go to Galilee. In chapter 21, uh, we see this epilogue, which means it's a conclusion. Um, He's trying to wrap up some things. And in chapter 20, before we even get to the epilogue, John gives us the purpose of this book. He says in, in verse 31, he says, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, one of the main objectives for John is that we would have faith in Jesus as Savior. At every turn in the book of John, we learn something about Jesus. Amen or oh me. We we, we learn that he wants us to trust him as Savior. See, when we look at this text today, we see the same theme. 
The purpose of the story about, it's not about fishing. It's so that we can know more about Jesus. And see, he wants to point out some realities about the Christian life. In verse 1, it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself uh, again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. First things first, this phrase after this is showing a sequence of events. It shows that Jesus just revealed himself on two other occasions in chapter 20. He is just resurrected from the dead, proving to be the Messiah, who he really is. Then it says he revealed himself in this way. He revealed himself to help them understand more about him. <laughs> so, so we got to ask the question, who is he revealing himself to? We have this list of people. One thing you know about this group of people is Jesus revealed himself in some special ways all throughout the Gospels and even his resurrection. Right? Even we see that they were together in verse 2. It says they were together. So I love what this is communicating because it says their experience with Jesus drove them together. See, here's the thing, Christians. If we've had a true experience with Jesus, what's going to happen is that we're going to want to be around other Christians. We're going to be, we're going to want to be around one another. We want to have fellowship with each other. Isn't that how it is when we find somebody who we have a shared experience with, right? You know, you, you, they like the same type of music you like. They like the same sports teams you like. You know what I'm saying? And then what, what happens? This automatic bond happens. You're like, man, you like them too. Like if, you, if somebody here is a Cleveland Cavaliers fan right now, you're my best friend. Amen? Everybody knows that. Okay. Inappropriate for a sermon. Uh, <laughs> inappropriate. Uh, but at the same time, that's what happens. We have this automatic bond that's formed. But this is the reason why we gather as a church, don't we? We've all had this experience with Jesus. One of the many lessons that he's trying to teach us and he wants us to see is that God desires not only to teach us in our individual quiet times, but he desires us to know him as a congregation, to experience him as a church. Our faith is developed as a congregation. When we sit under sermons, when we sing songs together, when we are in connection groups, digging into the wealth and, and, the, and, and the deepness of his word. But now we get to verse 3. We see that Jesus wants us to discover something about ourselves. He reveals something about himself to discover something about us, who we really are. See, the first point is that we are not enough. We don't have what it takes to live independently from Jesus. Jesus uses our failures to help us see this. Now, here's the thing, y'all. I don't claim to be a handy person. I ain't going to lie. I, I'm not Mr. Fix-It around my house. My wife married me knowing these things. You know what I'm saying? My mother-in-law tried to test it, and I failed. But still, she married me. Praise God. <laughs> but here's the thing. When I get that, no, that inkling to try to fix something, one of the things I do, I go to a source. I go to YouTube. Amen? Uh, and so I, I can, look, 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 YouTube is great. I can learn how to do open-heart surgery in just watching a five-minute video. Amen? And so, uh, and I'll, be, I'll probably be pretty good at it too. Uh, but my point is, nothing is, nothing is possible with me. Everything is possible with YouTube. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. That's not what I'm trying to say. See, God wants us to see that we are not enough to live our lives here on earth. Even with the most simplest task, we need his presence. Look at verse 3. I love what Peter's doing here. He says, I'm going fishing. There is nothing wrong with this statement. He's been through a lot, right? They've been through a lot. The, the grief of the crucifixion, right? The, the, the celebration, the excitement of, of the resurrection, plus this 80-mile walk that Jesus just had them take to Galilee. So I'm with Peter, man. I'm going fishing. You know what I'm saying? I'm about to get something to eat. And the homies went with him. You know what I'm saying? 
And so what ends up happening is that, you know, let's be real. We know how it is. You're sitting around, you're, you're, you're bored, and you're looking to get some, getting into something, right? And you're just sitting there, man, chilling. You're like, man, I'm about to go to the store. And your boys are like, yeah, I'm going with you. It's kind of that scene right here. And then, see, this wasn't any ordinary run to the Kroger, right? Look what happens. They go fishing all night, and they catch nothing. How deflating, how humiliating that these fishermen, these professional fishermen, caught nothing all night. They, they knew the right time of day to go fishing. They knew how to get, lure things in and, 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 and catch fish. Man, it's like Steph Curry getting beat by me in a game of one-on-one, right? It's embarrassing for Steph Curry, but it's exciting for me, amen? <laughs> all right. But here's the thing. God uses everyday moments in our life, and he, de- he did this for them, right? He, he, they, they know how to catch fish. They've been doing this for years. This was their trade, yet they failed. See, here's another reality. I think it's in those everyday moments that we lose our sense of dependence on God. We take for granted that it's only by God's grace we can do anything. Amen? We become experts in life. Don't we go throughout life just thinking that we're experts, that we can navigate all the ins and outs of life, don't we? And we forget the presence of the Lord with us. We become independent, don't we? Let me ask you a question. How often do you live with a sense of God's presence in your daily activity? How often do you live with a a sense of God's help? One of the things I've seen in the life of our church is some exciting things that I've seen in in particular members. I won't mention their name. But I've seen people lose their job and, and hold on to Jesus, have faith in Christ, understand that Christ is the one who provides for them. That's exciting to see when somebody is, is going through the hardest times in their lives, but is trusting Jesus. See, God allows failure in our lives to help expose how independent we've become from him. He uses failures to lift our eyes to him, not to ourselves. God wants us to know the truth that's revealed in John 15, 5. And it's in the latter part of that verse. It says, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. I love this truth because you can do nothing without me. God is showing you that nothing is secular. Um, Everything is sacred. He's, He's saying everything should be done acknowledging my presence and for his glory. I'm sure you're probably like, Pastor Mo, here, here's the thing. I can tie my shoe by myself. I don't need the Lord. I, I, I can go, I can feed myself. I don't need the Lord. I would say, here's the thing. Just because you can do things without the Lord doesn't mean you are without the Lord's help. Now, let me explain what I mean. There's a thing called common grace. The operative word is grace. Just because something is common doesn't mean you do a part from God's grace. God gave you the ability to tie that shoe. God gave you the, if your hands could be torn up, and, and but he didn't allow your hands to be torn up. He gives you the grace to do things that you think are just everyday things. That doesn't mean God causes everything. That doesn't mean he approves of everything. But what it means that God is in control at all times. There's nothing that God isn't in control of. He allows things so you can hit rock bottom, so you could point, he could point you to himself. There's nothing we can do apart from God's grace, family. I'm talking to both Christian and non-Christian. Let me unpack that a little. For Christians, we should acknowledge that we have been given a special grace through the revelation of Christ that empowers us to live in a manner worthy of the calling in which he's called. He's given us a gift called the Holy Spirit. Amen. That we could either surrender to him and walk with him or we could deny him and walk in our own strength. For non-Christians, it's by grace that your eyes are even open to the reason why you can do anything. 
God holds all things together. I'm talking about gravity. Your heart is able to beat. He provides food. He created oxygen for you to breathe. Amen? He enables you to live. For those of you who aren't Christians, you have to realize that it's by God's grace you can do anything you can do. He's allowed it. It's not that that, that you, you can do things apart from God and you've been doing things apart from God in your own strength. Look, here's the thing. God has done it this whole time and he's allowed you to do it. He can also reveal to you the emptiness inside that only Jesus can fill. Here's the thing. Failure proved that we were not enough. It proved to those disciples that they are not enough. See, failure does not have to be fatal, though. But it's a place where we, it can bring us face-to-face with God. What I mean by fatal is failure shouldn't be a determiner of, our, of your life's direction. I once heard Kent Hughes say this, that failure is the most creative event in a person's life. Why? Because it opens you up to new possibilities. It opens you up to new things, to experience new things of his grace. Look what happens next. I love this. He says, there's a man on the shore, on the shore, and they don't recognize who it is. And he calls out to them, and he asks a question. He shouts, you don't have any fish, do you? Look, look how he asks that, man. He's a little antagonist again. You don't have any fish, do you? You know what I'm saying? He's asking this in a negative sense. Why? Because he's trying to help them see their failure and open their eyes up to new possibilities. Jesus constantly is asking questions all throughout Scripture just so he can get our attention to show us that we show if we really do trust him or not. That's what Jesus does. He's really, he asks this question to see if we really love him. He asks this question if we really believe him. He asks this question to see and expose our hearts. So here's the thing. I know failure, and when we hear that word, it's like we have an allergy to it. It makes you itch a little bit, don't it? Nobody wants to be a failure in life, do we? It feels like God is abandoning you, right? Well, see, the Bible teaches the Lord will never leave nor forsake you if you're a Christian, right? Even if you have unconfessed sin in your life and it hinders fellowship with God, he's still there. He never leaves you. Look, I don't know how long Jesus was on the shore out there, but he's there washing and waiting for the perfect time to get their attention. Look, God's timing is perfect. He knows just the moment to show up. He allows you to hit rock bottom so that you will come face to face with his grace. The reason why failure is not fatal is because Jesus intervenes. Listen, I don't know where you were, but I know what happened when Christ found me. And I know it happened when Christ found you. That you were, uh, uh, you were, you, you, if you were just remember how he intervened in your situation, how Jesus showed up, helping you see the reality of your sin, showed, it, showed you that you have a debt that you cannot pay. And it was Jesus who called out and offered himself to pay the penalty for your sins. Let me ask you a question. When you feel like a failure, what do you do? How do you feel? Like, when you feel like a failure, what do you do when you feel like a failure? If it's anything outside of turning to the love and acceptance of Jesus, then I'll I'll have to tell you this right now. Maybe you need to repent and truly trust Jesus. What do you run to? What's the thing that you look for love and acceptance from? What do you desire most, most more than Jesus? We have to believe that our failures are not too much for God. Amen? We have to know that, yeah, yeah, that whatever we've done in our lives, I know many of us have just blown it big time. I, I, I've blown it big time in my life. But here's the thing. 
God is not here to condemn you, but open you up to opportunity to receive his grace. Listen to me, y'all. Remember, he stands with open arms waiting for you to recognize your sin and repent of your sin. Look what he's doing with the disciples here. Look, look what he's doing. Look at Peter. Who did, what did Peter do? He denied him three times. Still, he's, at, he's on the shore calling out to him, right? Look at James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. He asked them to stay with them and, and pray with them, and they keep falling asleep, and he's still on the shore calling out to them. Look at Thomas, the one who just doubted the resurrection. He's standing on the shore calling out to him. God is not leaving them. He wants them to realize there's grace for them, that they are not enough. But he also wants to show them that he's more than enough. This brings me to my second point. Jesus is more than enough. Jesus gives us everything we need for life and to live life. Look what happens next. The stranger tells them to put their nets down on the right side of the boat. And he says to them, you'll find some fish there. First of all, I don't know if I'm going to trust a stranger's opinion on where I should put my nets. You know what I'm saying? Like, they don't even know this is Jesus. They're, they're, they're taking a, a stranger's opinions. But here's the thing. They did it. And when they did, they caught more fish than they could haul in. See, the goal of Jesus is not that you would look to yourself, but to look to him. I have a two-month-old daughter right there, Josephine. Love my little Josie. Um, love her to death. Um, but one of the things I do, and it's pretty selfish what I do. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm confessing some sin, I guess, in front of you guys, is I want her to know me. I want all the attention from her. I want her to know that I'm daddy. I don't want her to look at no other man like, that's daddy. No, I'm daddy. Amen, amen. Come on, y'all. And one of the things I do is I try to say, Josie, Josie, it's daddy, it's daddy. I want her to recognize I'm the one who provides for her. I'm, I'm actually the one who, who, who helped, you know, create her as well, amen. You know, my wife did all the heavy lifting. I did all the supervising, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> But here's the thing. I want, my, I want my daughter to recognize who I am and to know me. Look what, look what John blurts out. He says, it's the Lord. And it was John who helped them see it was Jesus. Look, look, a miracle just happened. But who was the focus on? It's on Jesus. Amen? Then look at Peter's reaction. It's amazing to see he left everything behind. The boy put his coat around his back, you know, his waist, but then he jumped in the, in the water. But, I mean, look at him. He left everything behind. He kind of left his boys hanging too. But he left everything behind. Peter was more excited to see that it was the Lord than all the fish that they caught. But here's the thing. I, we got to investigate this thing about how Peter just reacted to Jesus on this occasion. Because in Luke 5, when he first met Jesus for the first time, that, that, that wasn't the, the case, was it? Amen. If you remember the story uh, G, with Jesus in a, in a similar situation, told him to let his nets down and they, they caught all this abundance of fish. Uh, and then he, what did he do when he was confronted with Jesus? He said, get away from me. Because he was a sinner. He's like, I'm a sinner. Get away from me. He tried to get as far away from Jesus as possible. But here's the thing in this case, though. He swims to Jesus to get as close as he could. Family, there's two ways you can take the statement I just made that Jesus is more than enough. On one hand, you can take it as an overwhelming sense that it's, it, it's kind of off-putting, right? You know, when you go to a restaurant and you, you, get, you, you, get a, you order some food and they bring the food out and it's covered in this sauce. And you're like, man, that's, that seems like it's going to be good. But when you take it, the sauce is overwhelming the dish, that it's off-putting, that it's kind of disgusting. 
Or on the other end, when you like go to Five Guys, you order uh, uh, some French fries and you, you go and get that cup and you pull it out the bag and you look at the fries right there in the cup, but then you look in the bag and you're like, oh my goodness, you're overwhelmed by fresh cut goodness? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. That's the thing, like, they encountered Jesus and, and there was either, look, here's the thing. In your encounter with Jesus, there's going to be two reactions. You see him as everything you need and everything you want. He is your hope or is someone you're going to look at who's going to ruin your life. You will see him either the one who's come to give life or the one who's come to bring death and destruction. You're going to have an abundance mentality that Jesus is more than enough or you're going to have a scarcity mentality Jesus is not enough because your sin is bigger than his grace. That's, that's how you're going to look at Jesus. See, Peter understands the gospel for the first time. He understands that Jesus is the one who provides freedom and acceptance. We see, see Peter sees Jesus in his failure uh, not, being, not being something that he's going to run from Jesus, but he sees it as an opportunity to, to, to be, to, for Jesus to be his Savior. But here's the thing. I love this because things get better. That Jesus is not just a, a, a Savior, but he's also his present help. I like what Jesus is doing here in the text. He says, Jesus is out here frying fish for the family reunion. Amen. Come on now. Jesus is out here chefing it up. Uh, it says he caught 153 large fish and the nets were not torn. They were tired. They, they were worn out. They had just been trying to find fish all night long. They were beat up because of all that life had thrown them. Yeah, they were excited about the fish that they had. But look at Jesus. Again, he doesn't just provide salvation. He's more than enough. What he, he, he provides what they need to live the Christian life. Christian, like I said before, you can have an abundance mentality or a scarcity mentality. Either God has left us with nothing to help us live this life, or we can believe 2 Peter 1 and 3, where it says, God, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Jesus not only provides life, he also provides us to live this life. At times, I think we have this false thinking as Christians that what that means is that life is going to get a little easier, don't we? We believe that suffering and pain don't come with the territory. When we look at, you know, we look at, we look at life like we can become so spiritual, that it won't hurt anymore. As if we don't get exhausted living this Christian life, but we do. See, God never promised it would be easy, but with him, he promised it would be possible. That we could live life possible. Isn't that what Philippians tells us? He says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He says what? Not to make life easier, not that we don't get exhausted and feel the pain and the turmoil of life, but he promised that he would provide for us. Look at what Jesus is doing. He provides comfort. Look at the fire he provides. Uh, look at, look at the, he provides strength. Look at the food and the sustenance he provides. You have to remember that God's desire is always to take care of his people. See, when life hits you, you don't have to be scared or worried uh, what you're going to do. You don't have to try to figure it out on your own. The Lord will provide. But look at this. He's already provided it. Jesus is already prepared for them. Nothing takes Jesus or the Lord by surprise. He's already prepared for it. As a pastor, I, I, when I see people, when I counsel people, I see suffering come in so many different shades, right? People have been abused, struggle with addiction, deep trauma, anxiety, depression. When I counsel people with scripture, the thing I want them to do to hear, and not the only thing, but one of the things I want to hear is that God desires to comfort and sustain them. That you don't have to look to any other source for your hope. We look at so many other places besides Jesus for hope, for freedom. But have you tried Jesus? 
Have you really trusted him with your issues, with your depression, with your anxiety, with the abusive, abusive situation that you just come through? I know that's, that might be hard for some of us, but here's the thing. I want you to understand that Jesus offers an invitation to us all to come and find comfort. Come and let him provide strength. See, Jesus isn't scared of what you bring to him. He's not going to run away from you. He wants you to bring it to him. Jesus is not Googling how he's going to take care of it. He already knows. Yes, life is tough. Failure happens. But here's the thing. Even though you're broken, life will not break you. Life cannot hurt you. It can't take you under. If you trust in Jesus, God has promises that he will sustain us. I love what Paul says that the Lord said to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Jesus is more than enough. This is why you don't have to hide your weaknesses and failures in the church, do we? We don't have to hide our our brokenness. We don't have to hide our struggles because Jesus sustains us. Church, we have to be an extension of God's hand and comfort and care for one another. He has given us his word so that people can find hope in Jesus. Man, you should be able to bring all your junk to the house of the Lord and find people who want to meet you right where you're at. You should be able to bring everything you have to the feet of Jesus and the feet of his people and say, help me and find help. Listen, if Here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's the message to all of us here. If the church does not address it, the world will. And when they address it, they're going to find other means to take care of it. And they're going to point you away from anything than Jesus. Then slowly it will be like leaven in your soul. And it will help you doubt Jesus more that he's enough for you. This is the reality of what, what happens. We got to be like the paraclete. You remember the story of the paraclete? What happened? That Jesus, uh, when they were trying to bring the paraclete to Jesus, they lowered him through the what? Ceiling. So that's what we have to do. We have to try to get people as close to Jesus as possible. So though you, today you might be feeling the weight of a loss of a loved one. You might be feeling the weight of a loss of a job. You might be feeling the weight of loneliness and abuse. You might be feeling the weight of uncertainty. You might be feeling the weight of planning a wedding. You might be feeling the weight of a disappointing marriage. You might be feeling the weight of health issues. You might be feeling the weight of a struggle with sin. Here's here's the thing, church. Whatever it is, Jesus will sustain you. It will not break you. Hold on to Jesus. Jesus wants nothing more than to provide and sustain for his people. All he asks is for our worship. I love what, what Jesus asked for. He asked for some fish. Listen, friends, uh, you don't have to, you don't, you, look, look, when he asked for something, it's not that, that God really needs it from us. Amen? It's not like he's not self-sustaining. Like he, he needs something from us. But so why does he ask? That should be your question. The question is because he wants to see where our hearts are at. He wants to see if we trust in that thing more than we trust him. They could be trusting in the abundance of uh, of fish that they have, or they could be trusting in Jesus. They had a choice at the moment. But the focus was on Jesus. Here's the thing. We should trust the, the giver, not the gift. Jesus wants you to want him more than anything. That brings me to my last point, that Jesus is enough for us. What Jesus ultimately wants for us is fellowship with him. 
Look at verse 12 and 13. Jesus offers them a seat and breakfast. He, he, he takes bread and the fish and he gives it to them. And, at the, and the text says, it, it says, no one asked them who he was. They just knew it was him. Let me say, I, I, you know, that's one of the most perplexing things in Scripture, especially after the resurrection. Jesus would show up, and then nobody knew who he was. You know what I'm saying? He'd just pop in like, hey, what's up, y'all? And nobody knew who he was. It doesn't say why, though. It doesn't say how they could not recognize that it was Jesus. So I'm not going to speculate on that point. But what I want to talk about is the thing that's obvious. They knew it was Jesus. I, when I was a kid, I used to play outside. So, my, you know, my, I grew up with a single mother. So I used to run home, then go outside. Go home from school, then run outside. I spent most of my life outside. I don't think I slept very much as a child. Um, but one of the things I did, um, I, I, you know, I, I could not do. There was boundaries, of course. Um, my mom said we lived on uh, street blocks, so I couldn't go outside of the block. I had to stay on the block. I can go up the block. I can go down the block. I can go around the block. But you better be on that block, boy. You know what I'm saying? That's how my mother got at me. And so one of the things I remember uh, growing up is that I, uh, my, when that time of day came, my mom would just call out to me. She would say, like, dinner. She wouldn't even say my name. She'd be like, boy, come on inside. You know, <laughs> that's, what, that's what used to happen. So y'all kids, I hope you, your parents don't talk to you this way. Uh, but, but, but here's the thing. I remember my mom not even having to call my name. I knew it was her voice. I knew my mother's voice. I knew if I didn't get in there, boy, she was going to get me. But I didn't know that my mom's voice. Here's the thing, y'all. When you walk closely with the Lord, you start to get familiar with the tone of his voice. You start to get familiar with his presence. You start to notice God's faithfulness a lot more. You, if you've been through some things in life and God helped you keep your faith in him, you probably are going to start to notice the tone of his voice. One of the most important aspects of walking with Jesus is learning to experience him in ways where our faith is not always sight, right? Uh, I don't mean apart from Scripture. What I mean is trusting that he is the same God he reveals himself to be in Scripture. See, here's the thing. Our faith is not strengthened by seeing all of what God has planned. But our faith is strengthened by trusting who he has revealed himself to be in, in Scripture. The disciples spent years with him, experienced his, his care and provision. They knew it can only be Jesus. Their faith was, was, was greater than their sight. They had spent years walking with him. They knew it was him. Here's the thing. Are you walking closely with, enough with Jesus that when, when, when things aren't so clear that you're still trusting his hand? Are you walking with Jesus that you'll recognize his hand? I think many of us don't recognize Jesus in the midst of tough circumstances because we don't trust him in our everyday circumstances. When life gets rough, we ask, where is God, right? That's the issue of your own vision. That it, God is still present. Listen, my testimony, even as a believer, um, years ago when, when I, I doubted that God was good, I had been through all kinds of abuse and depression in my life. Most of y'all don't know my testimony, but if I would share, you'd be like, wow, Mo, you've been through those things? Amen. A neglectful father. Uh, abusive relationship with my brother. I, I've been through all kinds of stuff in my life. So here's the thing. I, I doubted God was good because all I could see was my suffering. All I could look at was my suffering. But when God cleared my vision to know that my suffering was not bigger than his grace, my, his love for me was bigger than my suffering, then I, I was able to see that he had been faithful all my life. He had been faithful to me. He allowed me to hit rock bottom to find nothing but him. That there was no other hope for me but Jesus. He wants us to put our hope in him. 
as the resurrected Lord. Jesus, Jesus offers them breakfast, and, and, and he offers them a meal because he's offering them fellowship. God desires to, to be, uh, our church to be productive, yes, but the greatest thing he offers is fellowship with him. What Jesus does with the, uh, the bread and the fish is it, 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 it's a mirror of what he did in John 6. If you remember John 6, he fed the 5,000 in John 6. And so what Jesus does, he sees the people are weary from following him. They're tired. They're worn out. And then they get the bright idea. It was like, hey, man, we need to send these people away. But Jesus gets the, the greater idea and says, hey, why don't you feed them to his disciples? And they're like mystified. How are we going to feed with these people? And, you know, they're looking at this up, brother, what you got? What you got? I got this much, man. You know, I got this much, brother. And they came to make two ends meet. <laughs> but what does Jesus do? He asks for those little fish and those little loaves, and he, he puts them together. And guess what he does? He feeds 5,000. It was a miracle that he could feed that many people. Now we look at this story today, and Jesus is not asking these disciples to feed anybody at the moment, is he? He has fish and loaves, and he wants to feed them. Jesus is saying what matters most is they have fellowship with him before they do anything. A call to live for Jesus is a call to relationship with Jesus, friends. He's calling not for your hand, but he's calling for your heart. See, you see, we can either focus on one or two things, what God, what God provides or what we bring. And we're both wrong in both instances. He wants us to want him, not just his hand. He wants us to want him. I love what uh, Pastor Bo Hughes preached a few uh, last week when he asked us, what vision compels you? He painted this picture of a vision of us being with God in eternity forever and ever. And he asked us this question, what vision compels you? What Jesus wants most from us is fellowship with him. I love how these three points express the gospel. We are not enough. Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is enough for us. Think about it, friends. Uh, look, 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 if you look at him, it says we were separated from God because of our sins, right? There was no hope for us. There was not a righteousness that could bridge the gap in us, that could bridge the gap for us to get back to God. We are not enough. We rebelled against God, and, he broke, and we broke fellowship with him, and we became his enemies. But God, two of the best words in the Bible, became more than enough by giving his son Jesus to die for our sins on the cross. Jesus became our provision, and, and he constantly sustains us. And he did all of this for one reason, because he wants fellowship with us. Jesus is enough for us. We have to learn what it looks like to have fellowship with God. One of the things I've learned is to schedule throughout my days these little moments with God. You know, I take five to ten minutes to read scripture or to pray to him. And, and what I do is I do that about three to five times a day. And, and what I do is I, I invite him to sustain me. I invite him to, I invite myself to trust in his hand. We have to understand that Jesus is enough for us. You know, I started this uh, sermon about 20 minutes ago uh, talking about the movie Antoine Fisher. One of my favorite scenes at the end is when he, he, he finds love and acceptance that he was looking for. He walks into this home and he sees all these people embracing him and introducing themselves as, as his family. There's this older woman. I love this scene. Y'all, if y'all have seen the movie, y'all know how powerful it is. And that woman knocks and she, this older woman knocks on the table and calls him forth. And, and, he, and he's like looking at her like, oh my goodness, you know, like who is this? And she comes and embraces him. Listen what Christ has done for us, church. God expresses his deepest love and acceptance through Christ. Because Jesus died, in he, 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 God was able to embrace us, and now we become his children. We are now brought into a family. We, he has been resurrected, and he's ascended, and guess what? He's prepared a place for us, church. 
And, and see, here's the thing. One day, we will all partake in the Feast of the Lamb. Look at Revelations 19. See, is that the vision that compels you? Is that, keep, is that what keeps you holding on to Jesus? Is that, where, is that what you want for your life? What do you want more than Jesus? Jesus asked for our hearts. He, he asked for all of our affections. He doesn't want just a part of us, but he wants all of us, church. And one day we will be in perfect fellowship with him. We want to have no pain, no hurt, no anxiety, no depression, no abuse, nothing. All those things will wash away, and we will be in the presence of our Lord forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you've called us, Lord, to be part of your family. Thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed those who have placed their trust in you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are enough for us, God. That there's nothing in life we don't need you for. Lord, we thank you for being the gracious Lord that you are. That you have, yeah, you have changed us, Lord. You have done so much in our lives. And Lord, that you are trustworthy. So, Father, I pray for all those under the sound of my voice that we would trust you more and more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.